It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. Time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. Welcome to The Big Rethink. Today, we have a conversation about technology, accessibility, and inclusion. It's a topic that every manager needs to think about as they consider new hire skill sets and a declining U.S. workforce. Our guest and guide to this discussion, Deborah Rue, author, radio host, blogger, and influencer, who's been championing and empowering the success of those with disabilities for over 20 years. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Barry. And I love the name of the show because we do need to rethink everything. So congratulations. I'm going to take that compliment, Deborah. Thank you so much. Already we're starting off uh, on a good footing. So if it's okay with you, you know, I like to start uh, with uh, a person's history and their experiences. And so you started off in training and development in finance, and then you moved into marketing. And at some point, you decided to focus on workers and disabilities and how technology can help. Was there one defining moment in your experience or did this happen over time? Well, there really was one defining moment. It, it, it also happened over time, but I, I, have, uh, I was in the banking industry, financial industry for many years. And I, um, and I really liked it too. I liked being in corporate America. Uh, but I, I had a, a baby girl while I was first there and when I was 28 years old and the doctor told us she had Down syndrome. And so I still continued to be in the financial industry. And, but when my daughter and I wound up during that time moving from Florida to Virginia because I was being offered jobs, but also because... They, they offered at the time better special education for my daughter. And I'd had a son at that point too. But when my daughter reached middle school and I started hearing what the experts had in store for her or not in store for her, because they just really felt she could add no value to the workforce. I just was really surprised why she couldn't add value to the workforce. And I sort of woke up to what so many people with disabilities all over the world are facing. So that was really a, a real eye-opener for me. So when the Americans with the Disabilities Act was passed, was there any unintended consequences you saw to workers or managers or companies? Well, there really was. And, and it, you know, what we found as the United States was that um, and, you know, I'm very proud to be an American, and we do things a little differently in the States with our litigation and our laws. But what was happening was our lawyers are so smart, and they got so good at finding all kind of loopholes. And so when people with disabilities were saying, I'm being disenfranchised, I'm not being included, um, what we saw was that the lawyers got very clever of how to say, well, you're not really disabled. For example, you're in a wheelchair, so you have technology to help you with that. And so the person was being attacked. So we covered up some loopholes. And I believe it's like 2010, we really covered up some of those loopholes so that we could not attack the person's disability, but really look, has there been something happening? But at the same time, what we've also learned during this period of time, because the Americans with Disabilities Act has just celebrated the 31st year. Wow. And so... Yeah, it's amazing. And my wow. daughter is 30 
or, and I'm very grateful for all the people that fought for that law to be enacted. And of course, it has been updated during those 31 years too. But also a problem that started happening to us was we are not just Generally, uh, global employers, multinational corporations, they are not ju- can't just look at this from the lens of the states. They have to look outside the country. And the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities was created, and they took a lot of the content from the Americans with Disabilities Act. So yay for us, but at the same time, politically, the United States signed that convention, as did every other country in the world but one. But we chose not to ratify it, which really means it doesn't mean anything. And so it also became a problem because multi, um, you know, national corporations, which so many of our American corporations are, they have to look at this from the lens in the United States employees and all their other employees. And the CRPD, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and the Americans with Disabilities Act have different definitions of disability. So it makes it very difficult for multinational corporations as well. Just That's a really good point, problem. though, just not just from the lens of, you know, North America and the U.S., but internationally, because, you know, I work for a large international company, as you know. So that probably makes things a little more complicated, uh, you know, in quotes. Right. But you know, let's let's talk a little bit about like the work that you do. So you are the CEO, founder of Rue Global Impact. And so, you know, high level, we can get as detailed as you want. What is the organization's charter? Well, what we do, we are a for-profit social enterprise. And I'm not going to make it a big commercial. That's not what we're here for. But we work with multinational corporations, mostly American corporations. They're not all American, to help them meaningfully include people with disabilities. And we look at it from three perspectives. As employees, and that includes onboarding, everything has to be accessible. We don't want you just to hire us and leave us in that position. We want to be promoted, you know, qualified candidates with disabilities, But we also look at it from the lens of your customers, Mm. because as you said, you work for a global corporation and you sell to consumers. We want to make sure consumers with disabilities are being meaningfully included. The technology is accessible to us. We can buy from it on your accessible websites. But the third one is also branding, because more and more society expects, especially our multinational corporations, to be good corporations and to be employers of choice. So as society continues to change their mind about our expectations of global corporations, um, including people with disabilities, is one of the many ways that you can show society that you care about inclusion and diversity and it, as well as our planet and the other things tied to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So that's interesting. I think that kind of almost or maybe it does answer my next question, which is going to be like, why would a company consult with global impact? And it's more than just being compliant. It's about doing the right thing, right? Is that is that what I'm hearing? I agree. And I also will say one thing we were saying a lot in the States was it's the right thing to do. Look at the spirit of the law. Don't look at the compliance of the law. Of course, we all know we have to be compliant, especially in the United States. Okay, right. So there's a big, big lawsuits happening over these issues, especially over inaccessible websites. But we we really wanted at the same time employers corporations to think about it from the business case. That's what we do. That's what we do in business. What is the return on investment? What is the return on equity? And so 
understanding that we have to have diverse workforces because with diverse workforces, people think differently because of their differences in their lived experiences. And they're more creative and they're more innovative. You can't have everybody that looks and thinks the same or you're not going to have the same problem-solving opportunities. So I think society and employers are starting to understand that. And employers or corporate corporate brands, as you know, Barry, they do care what people think about them. They really do. And times are very different now. Before, they used to sort of be able to remember the days when you could control your brand message. Yes. But now your brand message seems to belong to social media. Good luck with that, right? What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. A little sarcasm (laughs) on that question mark, right? But I mean, it's it's interesting that you say that because from a marketing perspective, which is my background, things have changed, not just in the last 20 years, but in the last two years, right? And things are moving so quickly. Uh, It's just, you know, you you have to be careful of what you say and how you say it. Um, And especially with a topic is, you know, so important as this. And, you know, one of the things I thought I really enjoyed was this article that you wrote this past May. And I think it was published uh, by Forbes Online. And the title was, and hopefully I don't butcher this, Cybersecurity and the Untapped Talent Pool of People Who Are Neurodiverse. And so you reference in this article, you know, many people with neurological conditions have extraordinary skills. So me as a hiring manager, how can I be made more aware of these skills, right? I mean, I didn't know that, right? It's just And another problem is that a lot of people that are part of our community, they don't know they're part of our community. And also, they don't want to be part of our community. Did I want my daughter to be born with Down syndrome? I mean, just honestly. Well, you know, I, you know, but that is how she was born. That's who she is. And she's a multidimensional person. And she's very complicated woman at 34. But a lot of people don't even realize they're neurodiverse themselves. Now, I am neurodiverse. I have, it was uh, diagnosed later in life, but I have ADHD, which sure explained a whole bunch of stuff to me, right? But at the same time, 65% of entrepreneurs are, have ADHD or dyslexia, 65. And wow. then you start looking at the CEOs and so many CEOs have ADHD. Um, it, we don't talk about it as much. We're starting to talk about it more, but the, you know, when you look at the 1.3 billion people with disabilities in the world, um, the 20% of those people, like my daughter, are born with a disability. The other 80% acquire a disability during their life. It's, it's not a threat. We're just these beautiful biological beings. And so society, as we rethink identity across the board, we really need to rethink what it means to have disabilities. Because what it just means is that you're human. And that, but at the same time, we know that once again, when we are attacking a problem, the best way to solve a problem is by having different perspectives come Mm. in. We know this for sure in society. So what we're learning is that when you include a more diverse, you know, employee base, um, that especially including people with disabilities, they bring their lived experiences to you, which really can translate into improved productivity, better problem solving, more innovation, more creativeness. And I'll tell you a silly little story, Barry. It's very short, very silly story that I've told before, but I just love it because it's very, gets to the point. 
So Mattel is wonderful. We love Mattel. We love Barbies. I had a Barbie when I was a little girl, and I think Barbie's over 60 now. But they decided that they were going, Mattel was going to give Barbie some artificial intelligence. So they programmed her, the, the uh, AI team programmed her to answer some simple questions. So they were very proud of this talking AI Barbie, artificial intelligence Barbie. So at a conference, she starts a conversation with different people. One of them was a little girl, the little girl that gets up with a microphone and Barbie says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the little girl said, I want to be a computer scientist. And Barbie said, oh, well, have you thought of a career in fashion? Okay. Thank you. So once the women were finished ripping Mattel apart, little girls can be computer scientists, but we found out it was a small team of male developers that created it. If there was even one woman, even any diversity, they would have known why that is the wrong answer. Women can be computer scientists. So just a real quick little example. And and that's a a great little example. (laughs) We start talking about coding bias and you know, not to belabor the point, but I mean, clearly there is a bias in, in most everything we do. And that example should be no different, was no different. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, interesting. Uh, I'm sure there was uh, some blowback on that. It's well, you know, I, I think when we start talking about some of the other work that you did, and this is probably a bad segue, but, you know, for me, it kind of makes sense. And so the program that we talked a little bit about. But, you know, kind of want to go into further is, you know, the Billion Strong program. What What is that? What does that mean? I'm so excited about this that I'll, I'll get all dirty. <laughs> okay. But um, when I, the only reason why I stepped into this field with my financial background was, and I was a technologist and I was a training manager. I was a vice president at a bank, but I really wanted to make a difference for people like my daughter. And then once again, as I really moved into the community, realized I'm part of the community myself. Sadly, my husband is aged into a very serious disability um, due to a traumatic brain injury he had as a child. But I I just realized how amazing and and that the talent that was there. And I I was just confused why society did not see the value of Mm. these individuals. And so I just thought there was so much opportunity to really build a really important legacy. And so, but the good news is, and I think we should be very proud of the corporations that have done this. Many, many corporations have stepped up and said, we vow to include people with disabilities in our workforce. Um, There's the Valuable 500, which is a wonderful organization created with, um, in partnership with the World Economic Forum, where 500 major corporations, I think the one you work for is part of this, um, have really stepped up and said, we are going to include people with disabilities. And that's great. But then I started worrying, because so many people, once again, don't want to self-identify if they don't if they can get away with it. Mm. Um, you don't want to tell people you have ADHD; they think that's broken, or that you have bipolar, or whatever. But the, or that you have post-traumatic stress disorder for living in the world today. But the reality is, we all we all will experience some type of disability in our lives, and it ebbs and flows. And so, people should really be able to bring their their true selves to work. And sometimes ambulances go off in the background in our work. Sometimes dogs bark and babies cry. It's you know it's just part of 
the the work-life balance. But Billion Strong was created to find the supply part of that demand. So we, it's a movement and we want 1.3 billion people with disabilities to join the movement, but also people without disabilities and all the intersections because there are women with disabilities. There's LGBT members with disabilities. There's black and brown people with disabilities. We go across all economic situations. We are just everywhere. And I think it's much bigger than 1.3. But so I wanted to create a, a nonprofit, a global nonprofit. And, but I didn't want to just do it in the States because once again, this is bigger than just the States. Global. Yes, it's global. And how do we make sure the corporations that want to include us can find us and find us and we're qualified to do their jobs? Because, and I know I, this is a silly thing to say qualified, but actually there's members of my community that just say, you should be hiring us, but you should be hiring us if we're qualified to do your jobs, but you should understand we have many members that are qualified to do your job, so do include us. Sorry for a long answer. No, that's, uh, that's a, that's a, I think that's a great initiative, and it just it adds so many things to what we were just talking about before, about you know people self-identifying or maybe not wanting to self-identify. I think that's important. Um, it, it, and so you wrote another article uh, that talked about similar topics, but also mentioned, you know, technology, which is something that, you know, obviously, you know, I'm pretty keen on. And so in this other article that you, that was posted, or I think written in Forbes this past July, you wrote that AI, IoT, VR, AR, you know, the trifecta, all these technologies can help people with disabilities by creating accessible and inclusive environments. You know, but outside of those you know, those letters, I mean, can you give me some examples, some use cases, like how those technologies are helping? Yeah, and technology, I call it technology for good, technology for all. But it's interesting when you're talking about technology, of course, we have to think of ICT. We have to think of that, about that communications part of technology, too. I mean, here in the United States, we have approximately 330 million people, 163 million of them do not have access to um, affordable high-speed internet. In the States, mm. that's in the States, and I unfortunately am one of them. So I go over to my partner who has fiber optics. But so when we're looking at these things, technology needs, needs to be accessible to all of us. But at the same time, the you know, artificial intelligence can be created in a way that it sort of minimizes the burdens that or the accommodation needs that people with disabilities have. You know, there's, you know, we kept nagging, I felt, that about making sure that people with disabilities could be included and people with disabilities that have more significant disabilities, that they could work from home and be productive. And, and there was a lot of arguing about that. But now we see what we're talking about because sometimes it's wonderful to work from home. We find the employees um, are more productive. They seem to be happier. But at the same time, you know, the, you can get lonely. You can get lonely. You can feel isolated. You can feel not included with the teams. So a lot of people are starting to understand what we were talking about. And then once again, technology has to be available to us. And if you make your technology accessible, your websites, your products, your, your, your virtual reality, then we all can participate and now that we've taken so much online, almost everything online, you don't always know who that person is on the other end. Do they have a disability or not? Mm. You know, and so 
it is technology's the great equalizer, but it does have to be deliberately made accessible so that everyone can benefit. And when you make things accessible, Barry, it actually should improve the product for everyone. And if it doesn't, something's been done wrong. So I think rethinking what it means to design for humans is a very important conversation that we all should be having right now. I, I, I totally agree. And coming from a product background, having been in situations where I've designed just for particular segments of the population, I can tell you, you know, there's usually more cons than pros, but I, I, that totally resonates with me. And I think that makes sense. And, and so, you know, if you look at what we talked about the last, I don't know, 20 minutes, you know, there's a lot, I'm not just saying this, Deborah, there's a lot to admire about your work. I mean, a lot of it's a feel-good, you know, story. And I don't say that often on the show. And, you know, if you think about everything you've done, going back however many years, you know, what is the one thing, normally I ask, what do you love most? But maybe we should change that question to ask you, Deborah, what are you most proud about? I, I really think what I'm going to be the most proud about is Billion Strong. It's billion-strong.org. And the reason why is because this is a legacy that I, and it's not just me, of course, it's, I have an amazing team around me. I have many corporations wanting to support it. I have UN supporting it. I have 71 wow. country partners. I'm, but at the same time, as we rethink our identities, I, I have in my, um, my signet, right now I have she, her, hers. And it, the reason why I do it is because there's a lot of identity work, and this is my way of supporting that, those parts of the communities. But I believe this is my biggest legacy because if we could really convince society that people with disabilities are not broken, if we could convince people with disabilities they're not broken, but Barry, we're hearing ridiculous things like, I have a very good friend of mine that's blind and he works for a large pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. And a coworker told him when they were traveling one time, he'd rather be dead than be blind. Now, I don't know, Barry, how he's supposed to respond to that, but my friend who is blind, he is adding a lot of value in the world. And I really don't think you should say that to a coworker. That's just so horribly ignorant. You know, yeah. I, you know, I'd rather be dead than be part of the LGBT. I'd rather be dead than have a dar darker color. What? What? So it is very, very important right now as society really rethinks what our expectations are of corporations and of employers and of ourselves. But with Billion Strong, we actually need to change society's opinion. And there's a wonderful thing happening right now with our uh, Olympics. Um, the hashtag we the 15, mm -hmm. the International Paralympics has gotten together with some others and they really want to celebrate these amazing athletes of the Special Olympics, the Paralympics and celebrate what we all bring to the table. But I think this is going to be the legacy that I'm the most excited about. I've worked so hard, but this is a gift for the community to come together and own their identity. So I'm hoping they will join me and do that. But it's looking good. <laughs> so you wrote something, and I'm going to repeat this back, that, that's stuck with me, right? Um, it was, the only disability is when one cannot see human potential. And so, you know, you know, I'm like a sieve, in and out, things just, you know, don't stick with me. And so this has been, this sentence has been staying with me since I read it a few weeks ago. And so why is the sentence so important? Like, why does it resonate? Right. And even my show that I do, Human Potential at Work, 
because we keep deciding certain people aren't human enough. There, and, and we do this everywhere. You know, we have caste systems, but it's not just in some countries. That's actually here in the States, too. So we do that so much. We do it so much. We decide certain parts of our community, our societies, they just are not valuable. And, and it's so ridiculous because, you know, once again, we bring our lived experiences to the table to solve problems and be innovators, and so, you know, having somebody where the world was not built for you and the world told you, I, I the CEO of Billion Strong, I'll use him as an example, is Dr. LaMondre Pugh. And he is a man that is an African-American. He lives in the southern part of the East Coast, which is traditionally more racist than other parts. And I'm from that part. Um, and he also is a man that was born with muscular dystrophy, and he is now a wheelchair user. His mother was told he would die by the time he was five. His mother was then told he would die by the time he was 11. And he walked at first, and he lost his ability to walk. But he has learned so much in his life. He's 46 now, and he's brilliant, and he's so talented, and he's all over the internet now. And people are going, whoa. But it's like, these are the people we need to understand are here and they have so much value to add. And I think we need everybody to help in the world. It seems like we're in big trouble right now in the world. Why don't we let everybody use the abilities that they have and really change the dynamics? What would happen? We might do really well as societies, but deciding certain members don't belong because they love the wrong person, their skin colors the wrong color, they believe in a different God or no God at all, or they have a disability, or they're a woman, because women are the largest minority group in the world, but we're the majority. There are more women in the world than men but we're treated like a minority group, we're underpaid. And then you start looking down into that. You start looking at white women. White women make 70 cents on the dollar. Well, if you're an African-American woman, just looking at the US, you can make 50 cents on the dollar. If you're a woman from the LGBT community, if you're, it just keeps going. And women with disabilities, 20 cents on the dollar. Now, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, shouldn't we be doing it based on what people can contribute? I think, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 to me, I, it just it all makes sense, especially when you kind of bottom line it like that, going down, right, all the demographics. And so, when you think about the entire conversation we had, and this is probably the toughest question I'm going to ask you, it's just, what is the one thing you want our listeners, all the listeners in this podcast, to remember from this discussion? It's kind of an unfair question again, but you know, we've talked about a lot of important things. Yeah, I would say. Please stop assuming that other people can't add value. The reason why they're not adding value is because we don't let them in the door. I recently have started, and it wasn't always popular, giving up my seat at the table because I'm a well-known global influencer. Very honored to be on your show, too. And <laughs> um, But I actually have been giving up my – because I was thinking about being the CEO of Billion Strong, and then I thought, what are you doing, Deborah? Representation matters. And so – Knowing that not only should we honor people's differences and celebrate them, but really, and if you are a person with epilepsy or you've had cancer or diabetes or, you know, schizophrenia or bipolar or mental health, you are part of this community. 
You were part of this. Most people don't even realize they're part of the community. They think it's just for people that are blind or people that are in wheelchairs. No, no, we are just human beings. But we almost have to get into these categories and labels so that people understand the complexity of human beings so that we can really, you know, really take the time to let everyone contribute and solve these gigantic world problems. I'm not going to disagree with anything you've said in the last 30 minutes, Deborah. And, uh, you, know, you know, sadly, you know, we are about out of time. Uh, but I do want to thank you for being on the show. I personally have learned a lot, uh, you know, in like researching and studying and having you on the show. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Barry. You know, and it all started because I was blessed with this beautiful daughter with Down syndrome, who's so complicated. She's so complicated, but so beautiful. So thank you, Barry. Well, I think that's it for us. And for our listeners, you know, as usual, you know, if you enjoyed the podcast or didn't enjoy the podcast or just have ideas to make us better, please visit us on iTunes to rate, review and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. We want your feedback. And well, that's it for us. Another episode of The Big Rethink. Until next time, I'm Barry Ross.